Support for the Star Wars Stuff Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Yeah, that rhymes. All right. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. Join over 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code stuffpod at manscaped.com. All right, guys. Sometimes you got to do some maintenance. You got to do some trimming and either you hurt yourself or you don't do a good job and it's not a good feeling. All right. But Manscaped is here to help you. Okay. The performance package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and oh man, is it a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. And the travel bag is in there. I almost threw mine away. <laughs> I picked up the box and I was like, it's a little bit heavier with nothing in there. And I looked and there's a really, really great bag in there to hold all your stuff. Okay. First off, the lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just say that. I'm blown away by the performance and the craftsmanship of this trimmer. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. That is very important. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight you need for more precise shave. All right, because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess of the bathroom floor. Big plus. All right, the the Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. That is kind of weird to say, but yes, it does include that, and that is really what I use it for. Because I do have a lot of hair, so trimming my nose hairs and my ear is something I have to do every day, and I'm using this every day for that, and it's awesome. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, tugs, and those delicate nose holes. So yeah, like I said, I use it every day, and I'm not even worried about that it's going to hurt me or anything. The Crop Reserver Below the Waist Deodorant and Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, like I said, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself, to, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code STUFFPOD. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code STUFFPOD at manscaped.com. All right, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code STUFFPOD. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, back to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. My name is Ray Park. You may know me as playing Darth on the Phantom Menace, Bone Wars, and also Solo at Star Wars Stories. You're listening to Star Wars Stuff Podcast, the force is strong with you all. And remember... Hey, this is Dominic Pace, who plays Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, letting you all know you are listening to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. Wishing everybody all the best, and may the Force be with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. This is our Andor pre-show extravaganza. My name is David. I'm Colin. I'm Kyle. I'm Kevin. And I am Ted. And we are so happy for you to join us and for our special guest to join us. He is none other than Chris Bartlett, veteran of The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett and so many other things under the sun for Star Wars. This is his first time on the podcast. So happy and thankful for him to be on. Chris, how are you doing? Great. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I see you have a little friend behind you there. Oh, yes. Or multiple friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, this guy who uh, appeared in in Kenobi. This is the screen use costume I, I wore in Kenobi. That's awesome. Fantastic. Nice. Amazing. So Colin and I had a little bit of discussion before the podcast. Mm-hmm. Was that actually, I, I guess we all know the answer now. Was it actually C-3PO in Kenobi serving? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the credits and, um, and he was doing what he's uh, long been programmed to do, which was to, uh, as an interpreter and, um, and also specializing in etiquette and protocol. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, that was the, uh, it was the real deal. And then also R2 was in the, in the uh, scene. So the idea is that now we know that the droids were in possession of the, um, of the Organas on Alderaan. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, and, uh, and then Something as well that um the, the, that we were talking about before is like you got your start through the five hundred first um uh and um myself David and Kevin are um are are members of the five hundred first as well uh, yeah yeah uh and and you started off as a TK right yeah that's true my first uh in two thousand one I built my first uh, stormtrooper you know, kit. And, uh, and I was, uh, my number is TK 409. And, um, that's and, the early one. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Like I said, 2001, um, cleansing the galaxy of rebel scum. So anyway, um, we, uh, I, I did that one and then I built a uh, Boba Fett and Tuscan Raider and Jawas for my kids. And, and then, uh, eventually uh, moved on to other, other costumes like, like this guy. And, um, and, but that's where I started and I'm grateful to the 501st for providing, you know, such a creative opportunity to be able to, uh, play characters and, uh, and also get hands on with building, you know, my own. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, um, after a while it, they, they, uh, they, after I built 3PO, then they uh, often requested me to wear 3PO, which is not a bad guy. And so it, I kind of fell out of my <laughs> requirement of, you know, wearing an imperial costume to events. So hopefully my number is still um, honorarily active. <laughs> I think your sure number's okay. Okay, <laughs> I'm feeling it's pretty safe. Okay, good. good. So yeah, me being a huge Star Wars fan, I kind of know your backstory, but I know a lot of our audience that's going to listen to this and watch this don't know uh, exactly <laughs> what your origins are for Star Wars. It's very interesting. I was wondering if you could take a little bit of time and talk about that a little bit. Uh, sure, a little bit. Uh, I mean, I was seven years old in 1977 when I saw uh, New Hope in the theaters and, uh, and you know, <clears throat> totally ignited my, um, my imagination as a kid. And, you know, back then you only, there was just one movie, so there was no promise of future films. And, uh, but we had the action figures so we could make our own stories in the backyard or whatever with, you know, R5-D4 and Luke and Snaggletooth. And uh, so I, I just always, um, uh, you know, I loved Star Wars and I, and I continue to. Um, 
And then uh, as a once once Return of the Jedi came out and they had they did on television, they did a uh, behind the scenes of, or the making of Star Wars. And I was 13 years old when I saw that. And I was like, I want to work for George Lucas one day. I mean, I also want to make video games, but I want to work for George Lucas someday. And uh, and so, I, you know, again, what w- w- working on Star Wars? I don't know. Working on there, there was no promise for other films. So. Uh, that was that was it, and then and then along came the five hundred first, like I mentioned, and and then I just kept building and and uh, playing characters at, at you know conventions and stuff, just like a lot of fans do, and uh, but I really really wanted to create the illusion that these characters were maybe on loan from Lucasfilm or you know, um, and j- only doing that in my performance, not you know not a misleading anybody, but, you know, just, just in the performance. So walking around at the conventions or whatever and talking to people in character uh, as if I was really a, you know, stormtrooper or sand trooper or Boba Fett. Um, yeah. And then uh, through that, you know, I lived up in Northern California and then through that uh, I was invited uh, along with the 501st to Lucasfilm for like, you know, an event. Uh, I think we were like directing traffic in a parking lot for revenge of the Sith, you know, uh, a media event and um and then you meet friends at lucasfilm and and uh they're very warm uh and and inviting and so um after that you know when i would whenever i'd build a costume you know they would they would uh find out about it and you know be like wow great job and uh, and that was enough you know like i just i just was so happy to to have a connection with with uh, friends at lucasfilm but then then they found out about my um, project of building a uh, lifelike C-3PO costume. And uh, before I was quite finished, they invited me to come to Lucasfilm for uh, an audition. And that was in uh, 2006. And, um, wow. you know, they put it on and lock the, the head together and turn on the lights. And uh, and I said, uh, my goodness, why, hello, I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and uh, this is my counterpart, R2. R2, R2-D2, where did you go? Anyway, you know, like this. And so then the next day, we flew to Australia for uh, my first audition, which was wow. an event uh, where they had a, a soundtrack pre-recorded, and I just needed to animate in the costume so, and then uh now it's been uh this is my 17th year uh performing as c-3po uh which sort of culminated in in uh obi-wan kenobi um i've awesome. worked to, i've worked together with uh anthony daniels on a, on a lot of projects and uh so i'm grateful to be playing someone else's character you know uh, but that has led to playing some of my own characters since then. Fantastic. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks. That's an amazing story. Thanks. And I know you just listed off uh, the fact that you worked on some video games or was really into video games. And you really have an impressive video game resume. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Uh, well, all actors need a day job. And so my day job is working in video games. And uh I'm I'm a um, what's called a UX director or um, principal. Different studios call different things. Uh, UX is user experience, and I'm basically uh, someone said the other day, uh, "You're Captain Fun. You have to you, you make sure that the game is fun." 
Uh, but my, but I started out as a graphic artist and designing user interfaces and like heads up displays for, you know, games and, and uh, weapons and targeting reticles, you know, and for ships and vehicles and things like that. And, um, and so I got my start on Gears of War. That was, uh, I, I worked on the first three or uh, first four Gears of War games and uh, also worked on Fortnite and the Tomb Raider reboots and now, um, oh, and uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Warzone. I was the UX director on that uh, nice. project. So, um, uh, and then uh, now I'm working on a brand new, the next Star Wars game, which is like, you know, there are no coincidences, but somehow, <laughs> you know, things... Uh, come together and I just couldn't be happier. So yeah, day job and other day job. So when you say new Star Wars game, are you talking mm-hmm. about Jedi Survivor or are you talking about the new open world? I know you probably can't talk that much about it, but I'm I'm just curious. Yeah. Um uh at this point I could just say it's the new Star Wars game. And okay. so there's All right. more, there's more than one <coughs> yes. excuse me yeah. coming. Um uh, but I think there's um um, I think there's two, but I am working with everybody who's working on the new Star Wars games. So that's, that's very, that's, very well, exciting. Stuff. <laughs> very, yeah. very carefully said. Well done. Chris. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm grateful for the work and I'm grateful to yeah. be working in, in, you know, and to have multiple jobs in this universe. So, absolutely, uh, you know, the way that you keep those jobs is you um, yeah. know how to keep your mouth shut. Yep. <laughs> this is a man who's winning at life right now. That's what. We're yeah. <laughs> I've uh, I've had ex- I've had experience working with a little bit of Star Wars and signing an NDA, so I know. <laughs> okay. Good. Right. Yep. Yeah. Chris, you've had such a great career playing C3PO. What are some of the elements or components <laughs> to playing him well? How did you study the character yourself in order to put yourself in that in that space? Oh, that's a great question. Well, um, I used to uh, uh, listen to his voice on my commute to and from work. And, uh, and at the time, I had about um, an 80-minute round-trip commute. So I would just, like, have the DVDs playing or, well, DVDs at the time, um, you know, playing. Uh, and, and I was just um, listening for his, his lines, and I would just play them over and over and try and remember try and try and uh, mimic them and then uh to match his voice and then the other parts were um you know just studying his uh his movements there's uh there's lots of footage on youtube uh that is not just the films you know like he made appearances on british television and on sesame street and and uh lots star of wars radio drama yeah the star wars radio drama he, uh, anthony daniels did the voice there too so you know i was just really studying it and really trying to to get it down. And then, um, and then there was a couple of times where as a fan, I, uh, got to meet Anthony Daniels two, uh, two times as a fan. And then, uh, and he, he, we, he and I just talked about the animation, you know, he's like the, uh, you know, every part is separate from the other parts, the head and the neck are separate from the torso and the arms are separate from the chest, you know? And so all of them have individual movements. And then, uh, you know, anyway, I just picked up certain things uh, in the animation that um, that I, I tried to match and and in the voice. And um, the other things are, you know, 3PO is very appropriate. 
and he would never do anything that was inappropriate. Um, and, and so I would, you know, I always tried to, um, I, I mean, uh, I, I always portray him in a way that's appropriate and, and respectful of Anthony Daniels, um, performance and really his creation of that character. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, trying to make it so that it feels as seamless as possible. So you don't know which one it is in the suit because, uh, it's 3PO. That's all that matters. Right. So, um, that's, uh, that's it. That, uh, that was, that was, that's my approach so far. <laughs> Walk us through your, when you show up on set, mm-hmm. maybe even before you show up on set, walk us through what you do to get ready for you, that shoot that you're doing, because yeah. being part of the 501st, I've handled as well. I know you got to be careful with what the costumes are and how you put stuff on and yeah, I got to help your friends out and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. kind of walk us through your prep work and what you do. And I got to assume you probably have a, a set day diet as well. You got to worry about, <laughs> you know, these little things well, maybe not a lot of fans think about as you're right. doing this. Well, um, you know, while I do play 3PO, I also play, um, all the protocol droids in all the new shows. And in addition to uh, a couple of aliens, but the droids are really my particular set of skills. And uh, um, so about a week, you know, or I always try to, I do a lot of running and, and by running, I mean running away from milkshakes and donuts and ice cream. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and then, you know, I just, I just, I try and keep a kind of a lean diet. The, the, uh, I I do that all the time anyway, but you know, sometimes, you know, you got to have a hamburger, a hamburger and a milkshake once in a while. But anyway, so I just, you know, keep a, keep a pretty lean diet, fish and chicken and, and, uh, um, drinking a lot of water. Um, and then, uh, I do, you know, a, a light workout. I'm not a big cardio guy, so I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, and, and I'm not a huge gym guy either. I just try to eat, watch what I eat and, and, uh, and, and work out, you know, where I can. So. Uh, uh, my preparation. <laughs> I had a question. What's it? What's it like for you to get mentally prepared, though, for th- th- being into this role, whether it's three PO or one of these other other droids? Because yeah. I, I figure there's a lot of mental prep that you have to get your and a particular mindset you might have to get yourself into to portray a droid. <laughs> yeah. Well, every droid's different, right? Um, and so while they all have. Uh, similar construction, you know, as a fictionally as a droid, um, they all have different programming. And so they all have different, you know, they might all move a little bit different. Um, you know, I try to get as much information as I can from the director, uh, uh, beforehand. Uh, you know, one example is, is Q90. He's very different from, from 3PO, right? He's a mercenary droid, a bounty hunter. Uh, he, he, he doesn't, move like 3PO. There you go. Uh, and so for that one, I, um, you know, look at his face. He kind of resembles a praying mantis. So like I've, I've yeah. said in interviews, I went and watched um, a bunch of praying mantis videos just to see if there's any inspiration there. And sure enough, there was. They're very robotic-like uh, moving. And uh, and so I watched a lot of that. And, and, uh, and then I um, tried to translate that to his movement. And uh, as a as kind of a bug robot, 
Um, somebody else, another character would be like the traffic droid in, in the book of Boba Fett. This was supposed to, this is a droid that got caught up in the, the, that speeder chase with the scooters and, and the speeder. Um, and, and we wanted him to feel like, you know, first of all, he's super, super grimy, really, really worn out and dirty. Um, and so I gave him like this kind of loose, kind of loose uh, animation that like as if his joints were a little bit uh, loose and he was really worn out and old. And and uh, he had to, you know, there's this part of the direction was we needed to like spin, spin around like the scooters were going by so fast. He's getting all caught up and maybe he's going to get run over. He's all worried, you know. Another another one is like One Jack. One Jack it was in Kenobi. Um, here's my here's my bootleg One Jack. This is four long with pistols. I just made yeah. this one. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, has, I, I don't have one yet, so I'm. I'm you could have just told us it was a special one that was made for you. We okay. Made <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but this but One Jack had to be ex, had to be a hundred. Deborah Chow said one hundred percent. Uh, not C-3PO, you know, and there he is. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, I wanted to make him like a gunslinger. They said he needed to be able to jump and run and move oh, really wow. fast. And, and um, while you don't get to see a ton of that in the show, uh, he, I, I tailored the suit so that I could have a gunslinger stance, like a wider stance and, okay. and also guns so that I could hold guns because 3PO is not, not great at holding right pistols mm-hmm. so anyway yeah you just you, you you um and and then uh another thing you get ready for is inside the helmet you know all you can see is uh well, let me let me so this is a little sneak peek okay so inside the the little eyes there you can just see there's there's only like the little black dots in the center the pupils that's all you can see out of okay so in order to um, kind of get in the, the mindset is, you know, you could get a little claustrophobic in there if you weren't used to it. Right. Right. Um, and so what I do is I don't focus on what's inside here. I focus on what I can see out there. I can see people, I can see smiles, I can see cool sets and I can see, you know, um, uh, other characters. And uh, so that's what I focus on. And okay. and that way, um, the you know, I'm I'm out there. I'm not stuck in here, imprisoned inside this, you know, inside this head, right? <laughs> so um, this is this is a this is a little preview for what you're gonna see in Mando season three. Oh, yes. oh there you go. Yes. I I was actually gonna ask you if you ever had any claustrophobic moments, because I know that um, there was one moment that Anthony Daniels has talked about a lot um, uh, in the past where one day on set where like, where he was walking and then one day, like he was down for a second and he was like freaking out and they had to unbolt him and everything. Have you had any, something very similar? Yeah. He, he pointed to that scene where uh, in return of the Jedi, where salacious crumb was on his face and, and, He had one eye that was out, but it was covered. Yeah. You know, he couldn't see out of it. And then this puppet is right in this other one. And when that's happening, the only the only access you have to the outside world is through that one tiny little hole, right? When that's mm-hmm. covered, uh, if you're not ready for it, it could it can give you like some some anxiety. Um, but I have a thing I do now after doing it for so many years that uh, I just kind of go into like a like a Zen 
rest kind of, you know, thing. It, it's a real thing um, where I just, you know, I just uh, calm all my, you know, any, any, anxiety. Yeah. I don't have a lot anyway, but uh, calm everything down. I'm surrounded by people that I trust. No one's, you yeah. know, no one's going to push me over or anything like that. Um, uh, except for the stunt coordinator, but I do all my own stunts. So I, I, that's, mm. you know, something else I do, but anyway, no, I just kind of like, I, I have a, a, a ability to control um, the anxiety. And so that's, uh, and, and now I'm just like, I, I've done this a lot. So I feel really comfortable that, that I'll be able to do a good job and, and uh and also it really helps to have a great dresser so my dresser uh, um i've had two great dressers over the years uh chris sanders and dana gasser dana gasser is the one who's been dressing me on the new uh shows and he can pop the head we, we we've built the head so we can pop it off after every take now so um oh, wow. that's, that gives me a lot of break to breathe and and uh not get fatigued in the head you know i and uh, and the other question I want to ask is that yeah. I saw that you had um, a role on the Orville as, um, as a Kalon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I just got done watching the Orville f- for the first time, and I I, I love that show so much. Uh, and right. I noticed <laughs> that the um, uh, Kalon are very similar to Protocol Droids. Did you have the same uh, the same mindset as you as you do playing Protocol Droids? Um, and Star Wars is going into the Orville. Well, Mark Jackson, who plays Isaac on the Orville, first of all, I yeah. love you that you watched it recently. That's great. It's um, so good. Yeah, it's a fun show. Uh, and I play surprise a robot. Um, that was uh, <laughs> that just came because people knew my work, and so they were like, uh, "Please uh, come to the show and play a robot for us." Um, and Mark Jackson. He, you know, I talked to him directly about this and he was like, look, uh, this is not going to be like C-3PO. He's very, you know, the K-Lon's very uh, more, more um, uh, mimic human movement, uh, you know, a lot more closely. And, and there's not any hard parts of the suit, really. Uh, and, and so um, one thing that he said was, you know, you always keep your, you always keep your hands at the ready as if they're going to be, you know. Yep working on a, on a keyboard or opening a door or whatever their hands are always up and ready. Um, but the movement is not, is nothing like uh, C3PO, but being in a head with limited yeah. uh, vision, uh, you know, it was basically just kind of misted with spray paint. So you, you see like some, some light spots, oh, okay. dark spots, <laughs> but um, so that part was, was similar, but anyway, it was uh, my, my role was to, uh, get all the background Kalons to march in step and also to move like robots. That, that was, that was, uh, what I was asked to do. And that's uh, so cool. And it worked out great. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that episode. There's all the, all the Kalons are in the, that's my favorite new show is the, Orbit. yeah, and Kyle, uh, Kyle yeah, and I have been covering on. it on our fandom podcast network. Oh, great. Talk, yeah. We talked about it all season three and, and I had a chance to meet uh, Mark once at uh, dragon con. Very nice guy. Yes. Uh, I'll briefly, but uh, I remember they were talking about in season two, how he had to kind of give Kalon classes to all of the extras that were playing the Kalon. <laughs> right. And so I can only assume, you know, that uh, you had to follow suit with him and I hear he's a great guy. 
he is very, very uh, nice and very generous. And he was very happy that we were all there. Um, what we did was training uh, class, uh, Kalon class, was on the bridge of the ship. So we all met on the on the on the in the control room. Oh, that's that's so where, cool! Like, I'm so, so that, was, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then he uh, gave us uh, some instruction, and uh, yeah, he was just very generous. He's he's a very nice guy. That's awesome. Very talented actor too. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a question from one of our uh, viewers here. His, okay. his his name is Pizza Kid. Okay. And uh, he's asking you what your favorite Star Wars movie is. Um, I have two. My favorite favorite is uh, A New Hope. That was the first one that made such an impression on me that uh, that it just there's you know the first time I got to see stormtroopers and droids and Jawas uh, and star destroyers. I mean, it just blew my mind. So. Um, but after that, Rogue One was my next favorite because it felt so close to to the original. But also, um, there was real stakes in this story. You know, like in, in Star Wars before, all the heroes, of course, they all survive. You know, they're not going to die. Um, and in Rogue One, uh, you know, you get you get this connection to these characters and, and you, you know, Jin Erso and... And Cassian Andor and uh, K2SO, you know, and then one by one we lose them, and they were like they did such a great job of connecting us as audience members to these characters, uh, both through the performance and also through the storytelling. That by the end, I was, I was so brokenhearted that we were losing, you know, each one of these people, these characters. So um, anyway, I love that. Plus, I love the design of you know like Death Troopers and. Yeah, and, uh, you know, um, I, I yeah. So I just I really love that that film. If you don't mind, I had a follow up question to that because yeah. a lot of us saw the uh, the IMAX re release of um, Rogue One, and Kyle and I were discussing about how we kind of feel like this movie just keeps getting better and better with rewatches. Huh. And I always have this fun conversation with people because we lose the whole cast. You know, they all die in it. You know, yeah. but I was kind of curious alert. though. Yep, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I always ask this question just in case because it, it makes for great conversation. So I want to know what your answer is. If you could have had one person of the Rogue One crew survive, who would it have been? K2SO. That's a big, that's a popular yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Same. Same. His, I loved his attitude. It was so out of the ordinary for um, for what we would think of as droids, you know? Uh, and I loved, I loved um, Alan Tudyk's performance. Um, but yeah, he, he was, uh, I just, I just really loved that character and, and he was the first one, I think he was the first one to go, um, <clears throat> you know, there in the, in the, in the, whatever that is, the vault or whatever, uh, with the stormtroopers. And that was so like, when it happened, I was like, oh, wait, wait, no, no. Are they going to continue? Oh no. You know, I just really. I'd like to see him because I want to see more of him. You know, yeah. I, I love yeah. his uh, yeah. his character, and uh, but now we get to see more Cassie and Andor um, starting tonight or tomorrow, depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. A few hours away. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was just I was just watching uh, rewatching Rogue One and watched all the uh, the the special behind the scenes stuff that Disney Plus put on. Um, you know, I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We all are. Um, before we let you go, we know that you uh, 
you're very busy and you're Captain Cool, of course. <laughs> um, did you work on Andor at all? Uh, Andor was filmed in, at Pinewood. Uh, okay. while all the other new Star Wars shows are filmed in Los Angeles, where I'm based. Um, there was a contribution to Andor, but uh, it's not... It, 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 I, would, I didn't go over to Pinewood, uh, but I did have a contribution, and I don't uh, know which episode it is in. Okay. Uh, so maybe after all the episodes, then we'll be able to come back and talk about it. Nice. Very cool. But you, uh, absolutely. You know that I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> Keep your streak alive. Keep your streak yeah. alive. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've got one question. I want to be in character if I didn't ask. Uh, mm-hmm. On on the set of Book of Boba Fett, did you yeah. get a chance to see my favorite character, Max Rebo? Because <laughs> I know there was one on there. I'm obsessed yeah. with the guy. Yes, I worked with Max. He's, oh, my he's gosh. The- He's uh, he's a classic. I mean, he's a, he's an old timer, but I mean, he's still yes. he's very good at what he does. He's an amazing musician. It was sad that he had to be incinerated because of my my mishap. But uh, so in, in Book of Boba Fett, I played a, a couple of characters. One of them was the server droid in Madame Garza's uh, cantina, and that that's when I uh, I picked up the Camtono and accidentally blew up the place um yeah so but max yeah he was he was uh sculpted by a friend of mine tamara who works at legacy effects and and also a uh, played uh played by her she um also was in the suit uh and but it was so neat to be able to see you know is that really max rebo oh yeah it's max rebo it's cool yeah. <laughs> original trilogy character um but yeah that was uh i did yeah. i did work with him and I am so jealous. Everything you can imagine, how great it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, so I'm not going to lie. I don't think he died. I'd be because I, I no, like right. I, I scanned that but, scene, man. Yeah, yeah I, I think we all did. We I don't think he was. I think he had the night off, actually. Maybe you know? that is what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. I looked. I didn't yeah. see any blue. I didn't see right. any blue on screen. Yeah, like, I think when you're it blew right, up. actually. Uh, yeah. I think that he um, his set was done and he was gone for the night. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was out. We can only hope he was out the back door signing autographs. I may have watched that scene a few <laughs> well, times to try and confirm that. And I cannot yeah. confirm. <laughs> yes, that was funny. Yeah. yeah in that in that uh, there was a really amazing day of filming where. Um, we were doing the the band scene, and then at the end of the day, Robert Rodriguez, who plays guitar, and Tamara Morrison, who plays guitar, no um, they got up on the stage with their guitars and just started jamming jamming out, and and they were playing songs like like full on songs and and singing and everything, and all of all of the crew, all of us, uh, the the actors and the crew, uh, all were standing around like having this mini concert. Um, at like what you would imagine at like a like a small pub or or something, you know, when it's open mic night or something. Um, but it was and and it was all we were in a Star Wars environment. It just felt like wow, how, your own cantina. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> it was really surreal, and um, that's awesome. I'm just I just feel so blessed to to be able to be work with these super talented people. Um, you know, doing, doing what I love to do, what we would all love to do. And I, I, I know that it's, it's not, uh, it's not trivial. It's something that's very, very special. 
but that's what we're trying to do with Star Wars. It's a big responsibility to tell new Star Wars stories, um, not only because we all love it, but because we all love Star Wars and, and uh, we, we, we all want to uh, do a good job uh, at continuing the, these really interesting stories and, and these interesting characters. So um, that's, uh, it's, it's exactly how you imagine. Stepping onto uh, the, the set in Star Wars, just how you would imagine what it's like, your entire uh, life of fandom flashes before your eyes, you know, and you, and it, everything slows down into slow-mo and you mm. step up on the set and you're like in Star Wars. And now so what is it like when a robot dances? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, it's, you know, it's awkward for everyone else because, yeah. you know, <laughs> the pointy elbows that will get you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Oof. No, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, All right, shout, Chris. Shout, yeah. out, shout out to Robert Rodriguez, who's a hometown boy of ours. I'm in San Antonio. His ah, hometown. Great. So he's, he's made all of us proud, you know, getting Good. into the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Um, Chris, just real quick, just want to ask mm-hmm. you. So you've been a, a lifelong fan. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to not only be a part of the Star Wars universe, but you are literally extending the original trilogy with these stories? Uh, I just got chills when you asked me that. Um, <laughs> it's it, it is something that I always dreamed about, but that I never imagined would actually happen. You know what I mean? Like, you think about it all the time. You wonder what it would be like. You do things that don't make sense to anybody else because, gosh, it would be so cool if, uh, I don't know, you just you just fantasize about it. And then, but, you know, in reality, I'm just the guy working in my garage at 2 a.m. building costumes, you know, not, uh, and, and somehow, you know, it happened. And, um, uh, I, I can only say what it's like is every, every fun childhood dream come true. Um, and just, I get, I get kind of emotional thinking about it. It's just, uh, I'm just really grateful to, to be part of this because I, I, it meant so much to me as a kid that, you know, Star Wars is, is for, George has said, uh, George Lucas has said, uh, Star Wars is made for the rising generation. It's a morality tale for the rising generation. So, you know, it's really made for like seven to 12 year olds. You know, it's not it's not made for 40 year olds so much. Um, But it is, um, you know, it is all there's that part. And and then there's the part that is um, that that, as Dave Filoni said, Star Wars should always leave you with a good feeling. And it should be, it should, it should give you, you know, peaceful or, or happy feeling. Um, even though the middle acts are always kind of, you know, tumultuous because that's how stories go, but uh, it should always leave you with a good feeling. And that, that's, that's how I feel when, when I'm on set. And so we're truly, I hope that that feeling that I have as a performer um, somehow can translate through, you know, from inside here out out through the costume to to the camera and to the audience and into living rooms uh so it's uh that that's that's what it means to me it's just it's just the most fun i have in my life (laughs) beautifully said yeah well every day is a pinch me moment yeah (laughs) every day that's right and and i have to you know early on i had to like 
practice, you know, I talk about, you know, controlling my any anxiety or whatever was kind of like Zen control. Um, I also had to control my fandom because just like mm. any, any of you here, it's exactly how you would imagine you get on set and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to explode, you know? Yeah. And, and I want to tell everybody mm. and I want to talk to everybody, but like we're professionals and we yep. are telling story, stories. Um, like, uh, Will, like, uh, Werner Herzog said to me one time, um, we, uh, this is serious work. We are breathing life into these characters, which would not otherwise exist, you know? And like, yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, you know, so calm down, Chris Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> that was spot on, by the way. Well, done. <laughs> yeah. Did you like that? Uh, he's, he was, he was very close to me when we were talking and so <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to upset him. Uh, but anyway, yeah. That's that's the deal. Yeah, so I hope that you guys. Uh, I, I can't wait to watch Andor. Um, I, I hope that you guys will enjoy it too. And there's uh, there's also a little uh, uh, something coming out in February um, next year is Mandalorian season three, and uh, so I'll be looking forward to that one as well. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. <laughs> so yeah, before the podcast, Colin and I were actually talking about uh, a droid story. Did did you have any? Uh, influence on uh, that project um the droid story is an animated uh, uh production so it is uh anthony daniels worked on that one and i don't know what all uh work that he did probably de- definitely voice and and probably some motion capture uh he did for it but uh, it's a animated uh production done by ilm and i'm super excited to see that one too awesome. but awesome. yeah Yeah, with that, Chris, I don't want to keep you any longer than uh, you have to be here. So uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and uh, celebrating uh, Andor Eve with us. Uh, um, You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you you reaching out. Mm -hmm. Good to have you so much. We appreciate you. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, thanks so much. All right, guys. Well, have a great evening, and uh, we will see you on the other side of Andor. All right. right. Awesome. Thanks very much. All right. Good night. Well, that was awesome. Wow. Yeah, that yeah. was that was really good. Um, yeah, just the stories that he told uh, about being on set and and just having that emotion. Because I always thought back in 2015 that JJ was such a huge fan to direct The Force Awakens to come back after that long hiatus after the prequels to be that big a fan. It's like, how can someone contain themselves and control themselves if they're as big as a big a fan as jj said he was to direct the next star wars film i don't think i could do it i i it it would just be too overwhelming for me to do something of that nature but it has been done and then ryan johnson did his thing which kind of gave me more confidence if i were to work on something star wars (laughs) chris farley (laughs) did a very funny skit on snl that would probably show us how as fanboys would happen if we had a, a celebrity next to us that we had to talk to or doing something kind of geeky. So <laughs> I always kind of think about it like that a little bit. Yeah, yeah just it's incredible, man. And uh, yeah, Chris didn't get to say it on the podcast, but um, he is on Instagram and you can find him at Chris F. Bartlett. 
And uh, he's got some pretty amazing pictures on Instagram that you can clearly see there. Everyone that he's played in the Book of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian. There's that traffic droid he was talking about at the yep. top right. So, and he played. The he just not. Yeah, he just doesn't have his stuff from Obi Wan Kenobi in there. Um, which we at first didn't think that 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 he was on there because it wasn't like listed like really anywhere else. It's not even on on imdb but then we like looked back and then i was like oh okay cool so it it, it was him so i am glad he confirmed that because i don't think a lot of people knew that but yeah yeah i i don't know i was i was rather excited hearing his orville stories too because <laughs> yeah the yeah. orville is just so amazing <laughs> Yeah, Orville is is a great show. Yeah, a lot of people aren't talking about it. It doesn't seem like it's in its proper place, I think, in the zeitgeist quite yet. But I think there's so many shows, so many streaming channels. It's now on Disney Plus. But I I did watch the first season. I thought, wow, this is actually pretty incredible. Gets better and better. Keep watching. Yeah, on the surface, it seems like it's maybe like a Star Trek parody clone type thing, but it's not. Somehow, Seth MacFarlane kind of pulls it off that. It's it's something in and of itself, and it's a pretty remarkable achievement. Yeah. Great interview. He uh, <laughs> is clearly a fan like all of us, and uh, I, I just love hearing not just the perspective of working like on the show, but the responsibility of being a part of this universe might have froze there the responsibility of being a part of this universe and uh he just so eloquently beautifully said you know exactly what it means to him so i actually just absolutely love that part i think especially too with the weight he has of carrying such a legacy character like 3po absolutely actually is not dead (laughs) yes (laughs) hashtag Max Rebo lives. I've been doing that hashtag since I've I I, I since I joined Instagram and, and we started. He was the not playing in that band when that place exploded. I'm just saying. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Max is smart enough to know when it's time to get out of Dodge. He did it. Yeah, with, uh, exactly. with Jabba. He knew it. He knew it here. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was every single time when Chris said that he got incinerated. I was like, whoa, is that like a scoop? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. I I I I had to jump uh right in after he said that because I was like, I it hasn't been confirmed. It, it it like I just wanted to clarify, but every time that we have a guest on that I know that worked on the book of both, I always bring up Max Revo because at Celebration they have something called the Mandalorian experience. And when we walked in and I saw that Max Rebo was there, I lost it. Like I, I completely lost it. Like that was just truly phenomenal to see in person. So yeah, uh, Andor. Um, I haven't got uh, Kyle, Kevin's, and Ted's kind of uh, anticipation and hype for the show. I'll start with Ted. I haven't really heard much about. Uh, and or from you what do you what are you expecting to see is this going to be is this something that you wanted because i've heard from a whole lot of people that this isn't a show that wasn't really needed but after all these reviews have hit the net for from the uh, embargo that was lifted for social media it seems like it's universally loved so 
they said the same thing about Rogue One. There was people out there that said, we don't need this. Uh, this isn't about Jedi's. It's not really about Sith. We don't really need the story. We know how the story ends. They all mention that. And we clearly all appreciate the the story, the characters. And Diego Luna is, uh, I'm a huge fan of him. He has been fantastic on uh, shows like Narcos. And so just to get more Diego Luna in Star Wars, you don't have to say anymore. I'm already there. I'm a little biased. I'm, I'm admitting that. But um, 12 episodes or 24 episodes, if you're counting both seasons of this new series, um, just feels like they have something solid to tell me. It's not a limited series. It's not a 10-episode season or 8-episode season. They're telling us they have something solid to, to show us and tell us. And so I'm, I'm very eager to see what it is. Yeah, Kevin. You know, I remember hearing that from day one when Andor was announced that this wasn't a show that fans really wanted at first. And uh, it, I, when I first I remember Kyle and I were talking about this early on, uh, we were thinking like, you know, it's not something we ask for, but, you know, Star Wars doesn't have to be a Star Wars shows or movies doesn't have to be that, you know, because there's something for everyone. But when I started looking at Rogue One uh, soon after that announcement was done, I wanted to know if what drives a guy to kill an informant to save the trail that he is hot on and to also take orders from a fellow rebel to basically kill someone's father that they're about to go on a mission. I want to know what brings I want to know what a guy has to go through. And what's interesting, too, is that. This gives us a very important uh, look at a Star Wars timeline that has not been um, explored. You know, the closest that we get is Rogue One, but we need to find out where the Rebellion is at this time. And as we've seen from the trailers, it wouldn't surprise us that, you know, the, uh, the Empire is resting on their loyals and they feel comfortable maybe too comfortable in their power and they're finally getting challenged and we need to see a darker side of the rebellion that we've seen before. And I think that's something that, that we're going to get in this show. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm most excited about. Kyle. Yeah. For me, I've been excited about the show since they announced it. Um, I've made no secret and Kevin until test this. Rogue One is in my top three of all time Star Wars movies, and it, it started off with the, when it first came out. I probably had it in my top five, but after so many rewatches, it's in my top three. I've loved, I've loved this story. It's by far my favorite of the Disney era of Star War, Star Wars films. And when they announced this, I'm like, I was so excited about it because, like Kevin, I am excited to get into a part of the Star Wars universe that we really haven't seen on screen, and seeing that side of the the rebellion that. You know, George really didn't portray because George was, you know, these are the good guys. We don't necessarily see them doing the bad, bad things, but this is a rebellion. And we it, it, we are going to see the good guys sometimes have to make moral and questionable decisions for the good of the cause. And we're finally going to be able to get to see that. And one of the things that I'm so excited about with this show, too, is and it's something that I, I feel really strongly about with, with Star Wars is that. 
I don't need a Jedi in every series. I don't need certain references. I just need a good, solid story. And give me a little war in my Star Wars. And I'm really looking forward to this with the spot with the war side, seeing the rebellion growing from basically the ashes of what was there, seeing how Andor evolves as a character, because we even see that we even start seeing that a little bit in the little bit of trailer that they gave us before the IMAX release there. We're we're, we're hearing about what the things he did and how he is like, they don't, I sneak into the empire because they don't notice me. I just, and like Kevin said too, we're seeing the empire at probably the height of its power, but at that same height, it's blind to some of the things that are going on around it. And I think it's going to be such an interesting time frame to see in star Wars and just so interesting in the aspect of there's, we know there's no hero to necessarily come bail these guys out. If they get in, they're on their own and they're doing, they're doing their thing. There's no Jedi coming. There's no, no force user coming. And just to see that and see how it starts coming together. I'm I'm really, really excited for that, both on the action side and on the political intrigue side as well. And with, uh, with um, Tony directing, you know, you're going to get a little bit of that spy thriller in there too. So I'm, I'm, I've been all in on this. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Kyle. Yeah. Colin, what, what were your, what was your anticipation? So this is a dark time for the empire and um, for the galaxy in general. And now that uh, that we are diving into the early days of it, and we'll probably see the very early days of the empire as well, because from the trailers, we see clones and everything. So it's like, okay, Uh, I'm very excited to see where it will go. I'm excited to, um, as most of you said, to see a darker side of the rebellion. Um, because for a while since since the original trilogy, the Rebel Alliance was known as uh, as the good guys that really didn't do anything wrong, like on the way in. But from the first couple of minutes of Rogue One, you you like see um, Cassian uh, shoot someone just to cover himself and and get out of a situation. So. I'm curious if we'll see more things like that in the Endor series, which I think we will, uh, because this is a different, um, it's the same character, but he's not, he's not acting the same as he did in Rogue One. Like this is the early stages of that character. And I love that we'll, we'll be exploring him and the um, darker timeline um, that this is taking place in. Yeah, I, I have a question. I have a question for everybody on the, here on the show. Is one of the things that I'm curious to see is going to be how the fans react to this because we got a little taste of the difference, different Star Wars in Rogue One. But this is going to be different than really I think any Star Wars we've experienced. And I think I think you you've heard that from the cast. You've heard that from the director. That, that, that we're not going to have a ton of Easter eggs. We're not going to have. These fan shout out moments. He's telling the story he wants to tell, and that's what he. That's the way it's going to be. And I'm really curious to see how the fans are. I mean, obviously the early reviews have been really good. Are the fan? I think as a <coughs> fandom as a whole, are we ready for something different in Star Wars, or are there going to still be people out there going, "Wait, where's where, where where's my where's my lightsabers? Where's my Jedi? Where's my Force?" Uh, you know. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see how that reaction is 
going to be as well. I'm just curious to see what where you guys come weigh in on this. Can't chime in on that. Uh, so th- we've heard this line from Tony Gilroy saying that there's not, you know, we're, this is not going to be any fan service, you know, and this is coming from a guy who's not a fan of Star Wars and in a way is a good thing because he was able to write a very interesting and awesome story for Rogue One. And that's why he was brought into this. But I don't know how you can tell a Star Wars story without, I, you know, fan, the, the term fan service has a broad meaning. So I don't know if he's going to, I, from someone who's not a Star Wars fan, he's probably going to inadvertently show us fan service because if you're going to bring in some of these characters that we know and love, and there's some rumors from people from Rogue One coming in, that's sort of fan service. So I'm kind of a little confused what he means by that. I mean, like maybe a a walk-on role that kind of goes in the background, whether it's like we saw Chopper and, you know, Harris ship voice of Harris stuff that that maybe is what he's talking about, but you know, and maybe that kind of plays into more of a, uh, you know, a fun slash, you know, you know, yeah, we're looking at you fans. We want to be here for you. I don't know if that means things are going to be darker and he's not relying on these little things. That's fine. But with, with what he has to cover in a story, I think fans shouldn't be worried about that. I think it's no. going to be fun. We're going to see stuff that we recognize, maybe take as fan service, but not directly like, you know, st- some stuff just kind of thrown in your face. Yeah. To me, the way I kind of interpreted the no fan service thing was the overt in your face on the nose type stuff like Dr. Evazin and Panda Baba on Jetta. Oh, yeah. Right before it just exploded and somehow they got on the ship immediately after before it got annihilated by the Death Star. I mean, that type of stuff was was a little bit too much. Um, there is a picture that I posted on our Facebook group that is very, very fan servicey. Um, it's in regards to a, a specific prequel era character. I know some of you don't want to be, don't want to know too much, but it's. Uh, I think there's going to be stuff sprinkled here and there. And I've, yeah, I've seen a lot of non-spoiler reviews, and a lot of these people are saying that yeah, there's some stuff in there that hardcore fans are really going to kind of flip over. So, I think that's the way it is. I think he's well, he's setting expectations appropriately. He's right. setting them low so that you can actually be surprised. You don't actually set your expectations high for something. You'll never be disappointed. Disappointed. Exactly. That's a life lesson right there. Yeah. He's learned from the past. We we know what yeah. he's, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, because making Star Wars and not giving fan service uh, like fan service is kind of impossible. Like there's there's easter eggs from 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 everywhere the only show that i can see that would be very difficult to start to to like to have easter eggs and stuff like that is going to be the show acolyte because of that's taken like way long before um like of 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 the prequels and the and the original trilogy and the sequels so that i could see it difficult you know having like a bunch of kind of different shout outs and Easter eggs and cameos. And uh in um in this show during the timeline, this is happening around the events of Star Wars Rebels. So there's definitely a chance that we'll, you know, probably see, you know, different cameos and Easter eggs 
from 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 that show and stuff from the prequels. So it's like I I've kind of taken what he said with a grain of salt because it's like you can't have Star Wars without Star Wars in it, and I think that's why fans were kind of confused by what he said. I, I think yeah. part of it could be he's he, what, what he what he means is there's not like you and you guys all allude to it, is that there's not those forced Easter eggs. Like I'm yeah. just throwing something in to throw something in to a p to appease fan service. Yeah, you know th- to make people go, oh, he put that in. I think whatever is going to be there is going to be things that will naturally fit in the story he's telling. Yeah, and fan reaction is is really going to be interesting on this one. Like you said, Kyle, you're really interested to see. W- what is the general public's reaction going to be to this? Because we all know this is going to be something that's totally different than what we've seen on Disney plus. It's going to be darker. Um, There's not going to be the lightsaber play, the Jedi, the Sith most likely in action. If we get anything, maybe, maybe we'll get Ian McDermott as Palpatine as a hologram or maybe Vader in the background or something. But this is really going to be like a boots on the ground story. It appears to be. And like Chris Bartlett said, George Lucas totally intended for this to be something for 7 to 12-year-olds. Now, the show, it doesn't look like it's for that audience, per se. And we've heard Favreau and Filoni kind of reiterate the whole Star Wars is for 12-year-olds. And then at the 40th panel, George Lucas said it again, Star Wars is really for 12-year-olds. They didn't want him to say that, but he said it. And... um it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's there's several elements in this show that are rumored that are going to be not for twelve year olds, <laughs> and uh, I I really want to see the reaction that that really kind of the, the general public will have to this. So yeah, it, it's I, funny I'm excited. On it. I on our show we we always talk about you know the kind of one of the main issues for the sequel trilogy is that they're still dealing with the Skywalker saga. And the Skywalker saga has rules. You can't break certain elements of the Skywalker storyline. Um, so I've always said, let's hurry up and get to the Old Republic. Let's get to the Old Republic. Let's get as far away from the Skywalkers as we can. Not because I don't want to see Luke in his prime. Give me that all day. But I want a story where we don't have those expectations. We don't have those rules that we have to abide by. And this one sort of has some elements. You have to get uh, Cassian from point A to point B by the end of this second season. But we're far enough away that they can have some leeway and have some freedom with telling a story, with diving into the Empire a little bit deeper than we've seen before. So um, that's what I'm most excited about is how do you expand the lore and how do you take the audience along with you uh, because we don't have those expectations as much as we do with other shows. You know, people harp all day long about Kenobi, about uh, the book, book of Boba Fett. You know, there's certain things that people just say like, oh, that doesn't make any sense because of what so-and-so said in uh, episode five or episode four. So yeah. the further you can get away from those those rules and those those laws that Star Wars fans expect you to abide by, I think the better. Do you guys think this is the show is also a little bit of a test for Disney to see about having a show that breaks those rules? And because it seems like Disney's still trying to figure out how to get themselves outside of the Skywalker saga. They, they, they quite haven't figured out the full formula for that 
there. And I feel like that this shows a really good test for them to maybe figure a few things out in the process. If, especially if it hits with really good reviews and strong popularity, because I really think that's really the next evolution that Disney has to take with, with star Wars is to get outside of the Skywalker saga where we, we're trapped. They've still got themselves a little bit trapped in that Skywalker saga box, whether it's going to the old Republic or going to something so far in the future, it's new. But I think, I think we're at that point where Disney does need to explore that option. And I'm kind of hoping and, or gives them maybe a little bit of a formula like, Oh, Hey, we can go out more outside the box with this. Yeah. If we all remember, there was a point where Benioff and Weiss were going to do a trilogy and then it went down to, no, 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 they're not going to do a trilogy. They're going to do one film, direct one film, and let two other people direct the other two films. And it went to, okay, well, they're not working with Lucasfilm at all. They signed a big Netflix deal. Um, and the rumor was was that they were going to do a story on the very first Jedi, which would have been really cool. It would have been totally divorced from Skywalker stuff and stuff that we had known. Um, but that went down the tubes. I I can kind of feel too that with the sequel trilogy being so divisive with fans that they're kind of picking and choosing parts of the world that we've seen, but some of the connective tissue between them not told yet. And maybe it's a safe play. I don't know if that's something or if it's just like there's still so much of this established time frame that fans are familiar with and that most of them enjoy. Let's go ahead and let's go into those little sections and tell those stories. And I think that uh, with the tales of the Jedi, uh, that that trailer that we saw, that's something that they're going to try and do as well. Um, But yeah, see, see, you know, I would have loved to have seen like an old, you know, um, tales of the Jedi from like a thousand years ago. Those are things that uh, you know fans have been kind of wanting to see uh, ever since the um, the legend stories that originally came out. But I, I kind of feel they're they're kind of staying in a certain sandbox, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think I that think was they... one of the successes of Star Wars Visions, though, was too because all a lot of those stories took place. They said it took place well far in the future of, of the Star Wars universe, and I think a lot of people were really the, the ones that were of those shorts that were more popular were the ones that took place outside of that universe. And people were like, yeah, I want more of this. And I think, I think visions kind of started opening up some eyes there. And then again, with Andor, they can really take a different path with star Wars. than I think they've ever taken. And I'm, I think that's the most exciting thing I am about Andor is just something different with star Wars. Yeah, I definitely think we're going to get something that's going to be very, very much of a departure from what we've seen so far from Star Wars TV. And kind of going back to my point of giving people trilogies, we know Benioff and Weiss got the trilogy. We all know Ryan Johnson got a trilogy. So there's a report out today on Fandom Wire that Tony Gilroy now has a first look deal with Lucasfilm. Is that incorrect, Kyle? That they they pulled they've actually pulled that back and actually issued a uh statement saying that that was a they did not have all their facts for that story before they published it and oh, it is incorrect. Interesting. Okay, because yeah we've all been there before with Benny Offen Weiss and Ryan Johnson doing projects and being promised things that we uh, never ended up getting. 
Rogue Squadron. Yep. Yeah. That, that. Well, according to Ryan Johnson, he still has a trilogy. So. Yeah, but it, it, it's it's so strange though because once he was given that trilogy, he he did Knives Out, and then he created a brand new production company, and then he said, "No, I'm going to do sequels to Knives Out." And it's like, well, when are you going to work on Star Wars? And the promise yeah. was he was going to create everything from the ground up, the world, the characters, the story. That's a lot of work. And to have your hands in multiple pots and doing Star Wars simultaneously is probably not the best way to do Star Wars. I just wouldn't announce anything until at least you have like a script. Like I, um, for example, uh, Taika. Taika. Yeah. 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 I, um, that, cause I, 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 I love him as a director, as an actor and everything. But to me, when you're working on a Star Wars project, I think that should be like your main focus, um, uh, especially if you're announcing something as large as that. And then going out to the public and saying like, well, I've got these other projects. I've kind of put um, Star Wars back on the shelf for now. And at some point I'll get to it. It's like, no, if you're talking about Star Wars, that should be your main focus. Like at least don't even announce like you're you're working on it unless you got a script and then it's actually in the works not being like oh yeah you know i'm i'm, I'm yeah there's a bad disney it. track record with that I, I completely agree with you colin like don't yeah. even announce just because they want some i almost feel like they do it because they want some nice press but yeah don't even <sighs> announce a project until you got this person confirmed and you got a script um maybe it doesn't have just have to be completely done but at least have a first draft you know exactly yeah, let me ask ask you guys this because I've Kevin and I've had this conversation too. Is part of the problem that there's nobody at really at Lucasfilm who has the ability to tell Disney no? Where with Marvel, Kevin Feige has no problem telling the Disney board, "I've got this. Let leave me alone." I think for the most part, Disney leaves Lucasfilm alone, just like how it leaves Marvel alone to their own vices. Yeah. So I think at the very top of that pyramid is Kathleen Kennedy. She is the ultimate um, approver, a greenlighter. I mean, you have to go through her to get anything approved. John Knoll had to go through her to get Rogue One greenlit. Yeah. He had to set up a meeting with her, and thank God she loved it. And that went through, and it's it's now one of the biggest grossing IMAX films of all time. I am telling you right now, if Dave Filoni ever like took over that position, we are going to be seeing like so many great like projects, like a lot, like a a, a lot. Because of I, I, I just feel like there are projects that we don't know about that never got greenlit, and and it just feels like Dave Filoni and John Favreau definitely have a bunch of these projects and a bunch of these ideas. And I just feel like there are a lot of, and, and from probably different people at Lucasfilm as well, that have a bunch of different ideas that we don't know about, but they have probably brought up and they never got greenlit. Um, and most likely they were probably good um, because I can't think of one bad project that Dave Filoni um, and John have done. Like I, 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 I like honestly can't like they, they have not disappointed us so far. Every project that has come out, I've been excited about. Um, uh, there are some elements I will say in, in Book of Boba Fett I've talked about this a, a, like a, a decent amount where th- there were some scenes where I felt like it wasn't my like like the um, like the version of Boba Fett that I thought was 
going to come to be. For example, when he's fighting Black Crescenton and and he gets his um he like gets completely like uh being the crap out of and then they're fighting him downstairs and then Boba Fett walks downstairs wearing a bathrobe. It's like to me Boba Fett would have put on some armor and would have been ready to continue the fight, not be like, oh, hey, is the fight done? Um, and I understand that, you know, being put in a Sarlacc pit and almost dying changes, you know, um, someone. But I don't think changing them to that point to where, like, they're, like, completely different. I mean, I can't. He was a crime lord, just so you know. You know, crime oh, lords. Well, yeah. well they, they, they have to have some nice, you know, uh, out of business where you know <laughs> <laughs> but fighting Sorry, a wookie fighting a wookie though just walking downstairs and being like oh the like fight's done is like everything good wearing a bathrobe to me was just like i think because the mystery was gone from boba fett i think that's where it got me be i mean and and i think that's how people felt when they did the prequels with telling the story of Anakin because of Darth Vader's, you know, his whole backstory was a mystery until then. And, and, and it kept people, you know, thinking and coming up with ideas of what his story was like. And that was the same with Boba Fett. We like really like didn't know that much about the character. And I think a lot of people like that. And when the show came out, it was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. This is an interesting take. And, and, I loved the show. I thought it was done well. I'm uh, I'm glad that um, Mara Morrison actually got to um, play more um, uh, uh, in the Star Wars universe and to continue the Fett legacy. I thought that was amazing. Seeing him back in Mandalorian season two was incredible. So um, I just think that we need more Dave Filoni and uh, and John Favreau. Agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you talk about too, like the mysteries, when you talk about Anakin and Boba Fett, I think part mm-hmm. of that is too because we have that mystery. We, that mystery is part of the reason why we fall in love with a particular character. We have we develop our own head canon for that, and when somebody else writes something that isn't what's in our own head canon, right. it throws us off. And yeah. because we live we live in a world now where everything we can give an instant reaction to, it just adds to those flames. Burning, burning up to where if we would have gone back to the days before Twitter and even the internet and when we just would have wrote a letter to like Starlog or one of these magazines or something like that you don't have that fire and I think people then find it easier to accept but now that fire just constantly burns so yeah. it make it, I think it makes it a lot harder for story writers in, in that uh, aspect too because they, they're telling what they think is a good story but everybody has their own headcanon too so. yeah like I uh because something that uh, a lot of people have been debating about is which is a question for all of you do you think that they should um give the origins of Yoda of where he's from and what his species is cuz I don't think they should I think they should completely like leave that alone um because that is one of the greatest mysteries um in Star Wars and I think they should keep it that way um, because he's such a wise character and just just learning about him more would be great, but not to the point where like we know exactly where where he's from and his species and everything. I think that would throw um, all so many people. And I think George Lucas would, you know, um, 
he wanted to keep that a mystery. So I think if they went, you know, past that, I think that would um, definitely throw things off of, um, out of balance. Yeah, I think whatever George wanted, uh, if Filoni's there, it's definitely going to be honored. Um, yeah. If it's as sacred yeah. as something like that. So, but we are going to get to see uh, more of Yaddle in uh, Tales of the Jedi, apparently. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so what if they the, do it there, Colin? What if they explain the origins there? <laughs> I don't think they would. I think if they ever would like would do that, it would be in live action. But I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I wanted to bring up on on tomorrow's episode as well. But in the trailer um, uh, that came out for for Tales of the Jedi, you see Yaddle um, like her like full out like um, like just shot of of her in a room. And if you look at the room, the back doors behind her look very similar to the hangar doors in um, from Attack of the Clones, uh, of where Count Tuku goes, like to like the darker part of Coruscant, and then he meets with Palpatine. Hmm. So, uh, and then there's a different shot in the tra- tra- trailer where Count Dooku and Yaddle are fighting. So how cool would it be if maybe we see the canonway on how Yaddle dies um, and it's Count Dooku that ends up killing her uh, because we know she doesn't make it to Attack of the Clones and Legends. She's, she sacrifices herself to save Anakin. Um, so uh, it would be very interesting if they went that route where, where Yaddle maybe kind of picked up that Count Dooku was doing something um, that he wasn't supposed to and then then that's Count Dooku's way of turning to the dark side, and we just never knew about it until now. I think whatever we get from Tales of the Jedi is going to be a success. Um, <laughs> I don't know any spoilers. I don't know much about what they're going to show, other than the fact that there's going to be three episodes mm. in regards to Ahsoka Tano, her origins, and yeah. then three episodes on mm. Count Dooku. But I think we have two hits on our hands right now. Yeah. Um, Andor is going to probably be a huge hit, and Tales of the Jedi is going to be a hit, and we all know. Andor is going to conclude with a uh, second season, which apparently they're going to start shooting in November, I believe. But yeah, we're not going to get it until 2024, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. It's, a, it's a little ways off. But I, yeah, I, think, tells... I, think, I, just, I think we better get used to heavier VFX TV shows and movies taking a little longer to make than what, what yeah. they have been. I think that's something that we need. That's a reality we need to accept and that's why when I look at this, like at the Marvel panel schedule, I'm like, there's no, there's no way that this schedule is going to hold up because the, we've, Hollywood has become so reliant on VFX that it's just, mm-hmm. and the, the the houses are so overburdened at this point. I think we're just gonna we're gonna have to see a slowdown at some some point, or or we might not have anything for a while. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the VFX houses not having enough workers doing the work. And there's stories coming out that Marvel is kind of pushing it a little bit with these um, these CGI artists. And there's not enough of them. And it, I think there's some rumblings that they're underpaid and overworked. And I think we can kind of gradually see some of the cgi not be as good as it has been in the past i know a lot of the trailers that we've seen come out everyone talks about the cgi on on how it's just either not good or it's just not complete yet and 
if you look at a show like She-Hulk, um, the trailers were not great revealing She-Hulk. And the show, the show, I think, in general is okay. I don't know if, Ted, you can speak to that. I know you talk a lot about Marvel. But um, what are your thoughts on that, Ted? She-Hulk is fantastic. And mm-hmm. it, it did take me up until episode four to understand exactly what show I'm watching. I'm not watching a Marvel show. I'm not watching a superhero show. I'm watching Seinfeld in the MCU. And that's what She-Hulk is. <laughs> so whatever expectations you have about story, superheroes, villains, um, antagonists, throw it out the window. You're watching Seinfeld mixed in a lawyer show uh, in the MCU. That's exactly what it is. And all fans w- would appreciate it more if they put themselves in that mindset. That, that's a good point. Kyle and I cover the show weekly on our True Believers uh, uh, podcast on the Fandom Podcast Network. And I don't read the comics. And Kyle kind of gave me a heads up of what possibly to expect. And so I kind of went into it, uh, as, as you just said, um, knowing that it was going to be different. And I kind of got it right away because I threw out all expectations of any other Marvel show. And I also, that's a good way to describe it, but also I would describe it as it's such a fun show because it brings us into the world as if right now, if we were just normal humans living in a superhero world, the questions that we would ask you know, what would happen in this legal situation with this superhero? And so it, it brings you in that way. And that's what makes it so fun is that all of these stories that they're telling, they're kind of looking at the fans going, we're listening to you. We know what you would want to say and what you'd think. And that's what makes the show a pleasant surprise for me. I can't speak for Kyle, but I think it's somewhere around there as well. Kyle, what do you say? Uh, I'm loving it because it's something different and it's something I've, I've been kind of preaching with the whole Marvel phase four experience, especially on the TV side is they are trying different things. And the the sad part is, is that Marvel can't, can't seem to win right now. They get by the time Endgame rolled around, everybody's like, Oh yes, there's this Marvel movie formula and they just follow that and they really need to change it up. So they start changing it up and doing some different things. And people are like, well, this isn't the Marvel. I know what's, what's, what's going on here. Let them do what they're going to do. Like Kevin Feige has said, the MCU is at this point now where it's developed and grown enough. Now it's its own living thing, basically. And they're they're not following the comics to a T. They're using them as a guideline, but they're building things that exist within this MCU movie universe that they've built. And it's just it's a great example of world building. I I think we're finally seeing that with Star Wars as well, with what Filoni and Favreau are trying to do within the Disney Plus shows. I think there's a little bit, a few more complications there than there are with Marvel because Marvel just has such a huge base to pull from already for ideas. But yeah, I, I'm loving She-Hulk. It's something different. It's something fun. It's it's the same reason why I'm really enjoying like Star Trek Lower Decks right now because we've had so much stuff that's been dark and gritty, and we're having these shows now that are just being fun and they're they're different and. You, you watch it and you enjoy it and you move on. And it's, it, it's been phenomenal. And I'm really excited for Charlie Cox's return as Daredevil and She-Hulk, which will hopefully be uh, Thursday. <laughs> We've been saying that for weeks. So hopefully Thursday. Yeah. yeah, it is. However, an incredible time to be alive and be us uh, with game, game of Thrones on Sunday, 
They're going to have Andor on Wednesday, She-Hulk Thursday, and then Friday Rings of Power. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a fully loaded slate for me personally. I have Same. to watch all these shows. So, yeah, we can't complain too much. But when you when you look at the landscape right now and you look at Disney strategy, I'm always trying to figure out exactly what they're trying to do. Of course, with the cancellation of Rogue One, 2025 is the next date where they have a movie date for December 2025 for a film and cinemas. My question is, why don't they take something like Andor, which I think is the very first, maybe after The Mandalorian, something that can actually be played in cinemas and we can actually go pay to see maybe a day or two before the weekend before and then have the episode drop on Disney+. Plus. What are the limitations? Why aren't they doing that? Because we all know they did the premiere and they showed the first three episodes at a red carpet premiere. They did it today in London or in the UK somewhere. They showed three episodes to the public. So the question is, why don't they just do that with these shows? I can't imagine a boardroom at Disney going, we hate money. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, and, we touched on this before seeing rogue one on the big screen made a lot of us miss seeing star Wars on the big screen. And, and Mm -hmm. I think that they should definitely entertain that. I mean, you know, just show it over the weekend. You don't have to have it like, you know, go on for three weeks because obviously it, you know, those episodes are going to become old when the new ones come out, but that would just be so fun. Get people back in the theater again, you know, support the theaters as well. And, Let's see some type of Star Wars on the big screen again. I'm all for that. I know Kyle was feeling that way, right, dude? There, there's there's a two pronged thing to this. I, I'm ready. I want to see Star Wars on the big screen. After seeing it on rolling on IMAX, I'm very excited for that. But I can flip it over and look at the business side of it too. And you guys talk about Disney making money. They just raised the price of Disney Plus. They got to justify that price being raised. And so, are they? Why put Andor in the theaters when we got to justify our Disney Plus with and they? Made and there has been kind of their, one of their crown jewels right around this time. They've raised the price, so I understand why they're probably not in a rush to put it in theaters. Because why are we trying to take people away from watching something at home that we're trying to re- get subscribers to, and we got to justify this price increase? But then we say, "Hey, go see this in the theater." Yes, the diehard fans are going to see it, but I think there's a, another thing that's going on here is Regal Cinema's in bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe there's a race between Amazon, Apple, and Disney for one of them to start their own theater chain. And then they can use that theater chain to distribute things like the first three episodes and or out exclusively to their own theater chain instead of having to negotiate with AMC or Regal or whoever to get these things into the theater as a special event. So I think there's a lot of chess pieces moving on the board and we are such still in such a weird place where we still want to go to the theaters and see things, but we got really spoiled by everything being on streaming, especially because of the pandemic. And I think you're also having these companies trying to reevaluate and rebalance what, how much goes on streaming, how much goes to the theater. And that's where I go back to, something that I give Kevin Feige a lot of credit for. He fought to continue to have movies going into the theater during the pandemic. He fought so hard for black widow to make it to the theaters. It actually, Disney had to give in and say, okay, we're doing a multi uh, simultaneous streaming 
movie release for this because they just wanted to put it on Disney Plus and be done with it. And I think that's we're we're kind of moving back a little bit to the theaters, but we're not there yet. And I think, like I said, there's a race between Apple, Disney, and Amazon. Who's going to get buy their own theater chain or start their own theater chain? And then when that happens, you're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah I, that I was actually. That. Yeah, some of on, my thinking too. Yeah, on the business side, it costs a lot of money to get a movie out in theaters. It costs a lot of money to get a project into theaters. There's additional advertising that takes place. Shipping costs, distribution costs, all that stuff goes into it. And so far, hybrid releases haven't really shown, I think, a positive um, attendance numbers for hybrid releases. A, a good example is going to be next month when Halloween ends, goes into theaters, but it's also being released on streaming. Are people still going to show up at the box office knowing they can watch it in the comfort of their own home, you know, hours later, maybe the next day or something? So I think for the investors or for the board or whoever makes those decisions, I think it's still a big gamble. Is it going to make a profit? Is the profit big enough to you know, make us or allow us to do this? Um, it might not be worth it to them to just make a small profit. Um, Rogue One made $2.5 million with its re-release. Is that a win? Is that a success to them? I'm not really sure. Um, maybe Rogue One being re-released was a test to see, you know, does this work? Does this does this gamble work in these cases? So we shall see. You bring up Rogue One. I think the other big test is actually coming out this Friday. Avatar gets re-released completely. The original Avatar to get ready for Way of the Water. But you have a whole gen, and James Cameron brought up this point in an interview, and it's actually quite interesting. You have a whole generation that never has seen Avatar on the big screen, and especially, I mean, I remember when Avatar came out, especially 3D IMAX, you were just like blown away by the visuals. Yeah. I mean, and to this day, I will say Avatar is the greatest looking 3D film ever. God, you make me feel old when you put generation and Avatar in the same sentence, man. Right? Blame, 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 James yeah. Cameron. Blame James Cameron. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, well, but I, it's I really also think re 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 release. I don't know how many times this movie's been re released so far. It's, it yeah, feels but like I, this is the one that they're times. really advertising, and they put some money into the advertising for this because I'm seeing a lot of ads over the last couple of weeks for it. So I'm curious to see what kind of numbers the Avatar is going to pull out because it's been so long, and I don't, I don't, I I will go see Way of the Water because I'm. If nothing else, I know I'm going to get a visual experience with the with that film, but am I like just excited and boiling over for it like I was when the first Avatar came out? Not even close. So, but it's going to be interesting to see how that re-release does in the theaters. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'd like to introduce uh, straight out of the Avon Four. We have Craig Four joining yeah. us. <laughs> What's up, Craig? Welcome. Hello, <laughs> Craig. Good to see you guys. Uh. So yeah, Craig, what are your thoughts on uh, Andor coming up? And Max Rebo. (laughs) Max Rebo. Empire Strikes Back. All right. The Last Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. All right. Everybody's like, what? (laughs) So yeah, you you miss Chris Bartlett and uh, you miss Colin's face when he said Max Rebo got incinerated. (sighs) Yeah, no. no. (laughs) No way. Yep. 
No, 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 no. As uh, as uh, as soon as he said that, like, and 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 he got done talking, I brought it up again, and I was like, I, I don't think you I beat me to it. Her. You beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So yeah. He had the night off. Everybody knows it. That's exactly what we were all saying. That's exactly Max what we were was all saying. Big deal. <laughs> and so he had a lot of places to be. Yep. <laughs> no way. He's not. Max lives. <laughs> So, Craig, what are your thoughts on Andor? What are you what are you expecting to see? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, I feel like it will probably be a little bit slow the first couple episodes, um, but I think it's going to be something uh, really unique. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think it's going to be a great show. Honestly, um, I don't know. They say we're going to be tested on like seeing things from different perspectives, and like you know, I think we're going to. It's going to look like the rebellion is like doing all these horrible things, and and maybe the empire is not as horrible as they look, and somehow it's going to twist things around, kind of like you know, like Game of Thrones. You know how. There's always kind of good and bad to a lot of the characters, except for like Joffrey or Bolton, right? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like there's always these interesting aspects of them that they're complex. And so I'm hoping it's going to be something like that. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's what everyone's kind of anticipating. Did you get to see any of the social media reactions and non-spoiler reviews? A little bit. Um I did go to see Rogue One again in the theater. And so I saw that clip that they had on it. And uh, it seemed pretty interesting to me. I like that guy. He was in um, Chernobyl. And I really liked him in Chernobyl. Did you guys see that? You're talking about Stellan Skarsgård? Yeah. I really liked yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I always, yeah, I always remember him as, uh, in Ronin, where he played that kind of like really hardcore kind of assassin guy that joined the crew. I don't know if you guys remember that scene or that character or not. Good movie. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think we're interested uh, or going to see something different that we haven't really seen with Star Wars before. Um, more, more like character development. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested. I, I don't need the fan service. I mean, we love it. You know, we love it like when we saw in Rogue One and Vader going crazy. I mean, that was like incredible. But um, if it's something different, I'm interested to see it. Especially with so many other projects coming out. You know, with, you know, Ahsoka coming out and Mandalorian coming out and, you know, Tales of the Jedi. And so we have so many things to look forward to. It'll be nice if something has a different feel to it. But we have all these other things that we can... Thing. Well, if we don't quite like this, we have all this other stuff coming out. Yeah, with Andor coming out tomorrow, they pushed it back from an August release date to September, which pushes back the Bad Batch to January 4th, which will probably push back the Mandalorian Season 3 to an April time frame. Mm. Also in April will be Celebration. So do you think we'll get the first maybe couple episodes at Celebration possibly in London? That's a good thing. 
Yeah. Are you guys going to Are you guys going to London? You going? Yeah, Colin and I yeah. are. Nice. Are you going, Craig? Well, uh, I had tried to get the tickets, but they sold out so fast. Well, I mean, with tickets, I mean, there's always that ticket exchange, yeah, light yeah. thing. But I mean, I, I was an considering issue. it if I could have went all the days, but then it was like the Saturday one sold out so quick. I was like, "This is crazy!" It was like just a few hours, right? It was minutes, really, because I tried buying the four day badge immediately, and they had sold out. So I had to buy individuals, which was weird, and I've never done that before. But uh, and it was I, I had to do that when I went to Celebration London. Uh, what was it like? six or seven years ago mm, it, uh, it sold out like the three day pa- it was three days at that time and uh yeah i remember i had to buy individual ones for each day mm-hmm. here's the thing about celebration and you know it, david uh it's ridiculous trying to get into these premier events and then half the seats are empty <sighs> and they're yeah people away and we saw it at every show Tell me, mm-hmm. we didn't. I mean, there were at least another few hundred minimum seats that could have went to the Obi Wan premiere or the all these other premieres. They just turned people away. There's no reason. I don't. So I don't know if London will be the same. Um, I think. Uh, okay. Well, here I will rephrase. It. I hope London is not the same because of. Yeah. Because uh, of. We had some friends that were right behind you where, like, Craig was one of the last people that got in. And then everyone else that um, that, that was part of our group, like, just missed the cut. And it, and you, you were right. There, there were a couple of hundreds of seats. And it was like, why aren't those filled? Because they filled all of those for the Mandalorian Plus panel. Like, all those seats were filled. Every single one of them. Think about even Rise of Skywalker in Chicago. How many seats? Yeah. That night. was really shocking. Right? That was nuts. All they have to do is have ushers say, go all the way to the end of the row and just continue yeah. funnel people in slowly to the end of the row. And then everybody gets in. Mm. Um, for the Mandalorian Plus panel, people were sitting on the actual like steps, like not in the seats, in the actual steps. Like that room was packed. Yeah. And I was like, why on earth was the Lucasfilm panel not like that? Like that was crazy to me. Exactly. So, Kevin, so when you were at the Excel Center in London, did you experience anything like that? Were there empty seats in any of the panels you maybe went to? Oh, God, no. They were all full. Of course, oh, back okay. in those days, you know. They you, weren't doing the lottery in, system. Yeah, yeah, there was no lottery yeah. system. Okay. It was the old school line waiting, you know. And, mm. and uh, yeah, getting there early for that type of thing, too. So I, uh, there, I, I, Actually, I to, to clarify, there was a, a wristband thing. That's what they were doing. And you had to show up in a line to get the wristband. And then once the wristbands were done, then that was it. But everyone that got the wristband ended up showing up. And, you know, I remember I was there for the Mark, ha- Mark Hamill panel. I got to ask the first question. I was there for uh, uh, some of the others. And uh, they were all full as far as I remember. Interesting. I, I remember the days good. of Celebration 5 in Orlando when I could just walk into any panel without really any problems. Well, <laughs> Like the uh, the big Lucasfilm panel, then you'd have to line up all night. Yeah, yeah. So the main I, like I I wound up sleeping in the floor for that one. 
Um, I will never do that ever, ever again. It was horrible. <laughs> the last it one was, I did was for the last Jedi panel at Celebration in Orlando. Oh, that's worse than the movie. And that's a... <laughs> <laughs> At least I met Ryan briefly and got an autograph and a picture, but uh, Same. that was that was before I saw the movie. So yeah, um, so I'm the opposite. I love camping in line. Like no joke, our podcast would not exist if we didn't like like meet each other in line. I met David and Craig both in line, and um, uh, and and we were camping out. We were having a great time. Now I understand that everyone wants to you know do that, or they can, or 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 they can't. Um, but I, I think there would be other alternatives to doing it. Cause it's just like, um, something that, that the David definitely talks about is he, he won the lottery in 2019 for the rise of Skywalker panel. And then he was sitting there and then someone, you know, like tapped on the shoulder and was like, Hey, is, uh, is, uh, this panel like a, is, is this panel like a, a big deal or something? And I just remember hearing that. I'm just like, there are so many other people that wanted to be there. And then, you know, people who apply for these lotteries, um, the, you know, not end up getting anything at all who are flying across the world. Um, uh, possibly, uh, not having the potential of getting in. Um, and just because you apply for, um, for something in the lottery doesn't mean that you'll get it. Our, our friend Hunter didn't win anything in this past one. Like I think he won like the industrial light and magic one, but that was it. He didn't win bad batch um, Lucasfilm, like none of it. And some people are flying across the world for this stuff. So I'm just, I'm blown away. Cause it's like that. Yeah. Because on top of that, you don't even know until like what, how many days beforehand, like maybe two or three days. Like it's, it's yeah. It's not yeah. I don't think it's fair. I mean, no. you're going to spend what $5,000 or so to travel that and then you don't even know till like the day before. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Every, be- every every year there's a rumor that San Diego Comic-Con is going to go to a full lottery system. Oh, Thank no. God it hasn't because uh oh, no. like like Colin, I I like the camping out portion of it. I've been to four different Comic-Cons and I've met Directors like James Wan, Andy Serkis, um, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, the first year I went, 2015, pulled up in the Batmobile from Batman v Superman. He pulled up in the Batmobile. Doors pop open. He jumps out with a duffel bag, starts reaching in, and he's chucking hats and T-shirts to the crowd. Like, just baller Zack Snyder would. Uh, that was also the last year that Star Wars attended um, San Diego Comic-Con in sort of the full presentation. And it was probably the best that they had ever done presentation-wise. Um, so I actually miss the days that Star Wars held yeah. presentations in Hall H. Yeah, so I am I'm very hopeful that they go back to the old days because camping in line was just something that just feels like convention wise because so many people have become friends like i mean again this podcast wouldn't exist if uh if if we all didn't meet in that line so it's 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 something that i i hold dearly and i'm passionate about and there i really hope that they bring back line waiting what 
I said there'd be 19 sad listeners if the podcast didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the problem is as these conventions and fandom in general has just become so amazingly bigger that these buildings don't have a choice. They have to do these lottery systems because they can't have these overnight fan lines because the fire marshals just standing there waiting for the first yeah. excuse he can we, to we, shut it down. We can't have a repeat of 2017 Orlando. That was just oh, horrible. I, and yeah. uh, yeah. and there's, other t- there's other places and times during celebration to meet people and hang out, but th- that was a cluster you-know-what. And yeah, uh, um, that sport that's that that soured my ever ever wanting to stay overnight in the line ever again. And you know, I'm 52 now. I'm too I'm too old to do stuff like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm staying in my bed. You can actually hire people these days to stand or yes. sit in line for you. So, Kevin, there you go. Yeah, I don't want to spend any more money than I have to. to <laughs> I'm sorry. I got, I've got priorities. I, I don't well, need to do that. I'll, well, I'll wait to see it or if, if I don't get in. And, and that's, yeah. I took that approach at this celebration here in Anaheim. I decided to not, like, try to queue up in anything. Yeah. I just wanted to do free form and relax, and it was – one of yeah. the most fun times I've had a celebration, not having to stress about getting this and getting that. And I'll, if I have to, I'll watch it later online. I just wanted to hang out with people. And you I know what? You. Let me say this too, real quick. On top of going there and you might not get into the panel, then you can't even see the footage anywhere. Like I was saying to David earlier in another episode, have it so people there it's continuously running in a theater and they just make sure that nobody's got their phone on them. So everybody has an opportunity to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah I, don't uh, know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I've, I've attended some of the biggest conventions in the world. And I, as an attendee, have no issue with them releasing teasers or trailers online. The in-person experience is always going to be 100 times better than seeing it on a cell phone a TV screen, a computer screen. I, so, I don't know what the purpose is anymore of keeping those things uh, and not releasing them because we're all going to see it eventually. Um, and the, the in-person experience, it's, it's always a thousand times better. I 100% agree with that. Release it 24 hours later. Yeah. Release it 24 hours later. I mean, yeah, or, or even just a even few then. hours later. I mean, that yeah. day or that night, have the panel in the morning. We see the exclusive stuff. They can have the room next door or the adjoining rooms the galaxy stage or whatever they have multiple stages where they show the big panels on the screen when that's over just keep it running on a loop and everyone in the in the building can watch it and and just you could tell the audience hey look we know everyone has a phone you don't have to record this you don't have to upload this because we're about to upload it but you get the first view of it on a big screen so enjoy that you spend all the money to be there you get the exclusive first look and then a few hours or that night, release it to the public. And then the public doesn't have to go to YouTube and watch the grainy, shaky yeah. cam of the 4K image that they show us and just kind of dilute the whole kind of first experience for everyone. I, we all just privately hire, we all just pay and privately hire the guy who leaked all the Grand Theft Auto footage over the <laughs> last couple of days. Yeah, dude, that was <laughs> Which nuts. I still think is a guerrilla marketing campaign. Like Rockstar knows what they're doing. It's just a guerrilla marketing. They know what they're doing. Listen, Whoa, to this to this yeah. day, I want to say it was 2017, Marvel released a Luis from Ant-Man 
uh, video of him recapping phases one through three. Luis from Ant-Man recapped mm-hmm. the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. They Michael only Pena. released that at Michael Pena, exactly. They only released it in Hall H that year. It never saw the light of day. I never saw a hidden and, camera. And that's so it. wrong. It that's... is the best thing Marvel's ever oh, done, and the imagine. public's never gotten a chance to see it. It's ridiculous. Uh, I'm still, yeah. I'm still petitioning uh, Kevin Feige to release it, but we'll see what happens. I'll talk to him. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, 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 I don't think anything will ever um, top that in-person experience of seeing these panels and um and i mean it's it's just like seeing like the movies in the actual movie theater nothing will ever top that experience um and to me like star wars was always meant for the big screen it's great to have you know the mandalorian obi-wan kenobi and book of boba fett where we can just you know wake up every morning like when it comes out and go on the couch and turn on the tv that's great but seeing star wars with a big crowd that has always been like a huge thing um since the very very beginning all the way um all the way back in in 1977 like that was like like star wars was meant for big crowds and um uh and for like everyone and it would it, it never used to be like this exclusive thing and as as much as i love being in um a room and they end up like putting it on screen for for everyone um like in that room and then they're like just like it it won't go online later or anything i i i i think i i'm hoping that changes because of there are there's definitely exclusive stuff where like i would love to relive that on screen again like i was just watching it on my phone or something because of that trailer that extended trailer that they showed of season three of mandalorian um and the, the mandalorian plus panel was awesome and that ahsoka teaser and i don't think we're ever gonna see the like of that at all online at all and i'm just really bummed because the trailer music and everything for it was incredible and, and i just hope how yeah. crazy it is they only released that mandalorian thing for disney plus day and when did we go to celebration six months ago i uh, may so yeah Maybe. Feels like six months ago. Yeah, numbers, words, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Colin, that's going to be us flying across the Atlantic Ocean to uh, go to celebration this time around. I'm telling you, so. I'm really nervous about that lottery system because if I was nervous in uh, in California. I was at Disneyland, and my wife and everyone was having a good time, and I was sitting there. I'm like, if I'm not at that Lucasfilm panel, I'm going to lose it. Cause like I I I cause I I knew they were gonna have exclusive stuff there, and sure enough, like everyone that was there got to go to the season premiere of Obi Wan Kenobi, and we actually got to watch it with the actors in the crowd. Like you, you cannot beat that experience. And I was like, I almost missed it because of I didn't get lucky. And it's like it should be people waiting in line, and I miss those days. And it's. I I I I was at Disneyland and 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 my wife just like looked at me and was like, "Just relax, we'll figure something out." Because I was sitting there just being like, "My, I just feel like my trip's gonna be ruined if I'm not at that panel." And thank God everything worked out. But being in London, I'm gonna be more nervous because it's like I'm traveling overseas. I'm 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 traveling all the way out here, and there's a chance that I might not 
get to go to the number one panel that I want to. And it's because of luck. And I just think that's something that, that, that they should try and consider of finding a common ground to where they can still do that, but then people can still camp in line. I don't know what that is, but I know my, my advice for London is take advantage of London itself. Uh, <laughs> take some extra time to enjoy London. You sound and, like my wife, uh, Kevin. Well, um, when you get outside of your Star Wars bubble, uh, mm. especially with wherever that you are, you'll find that you will uh, enjoy that as well because uh, there's a lot of Star Wars that can go on in London outside of the celebration. Just oh, I know. I know. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. So did you uh, get to check out any sites when you were there, Kevin? Oh, hell yeah. I've been to London several times. So, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the people that were there took uh, um, bus tours to, uh, you know, obviously – you know, other tourist locations and other cities outside of London, like Bath and Windsor and stuff like that. So Very make cool. sure uh, you don't just fly in and fly out. Try to spend a few oh, yeah. days uh, looking around because, uh, you know, whether you want to go to Abbey Road or you want to go to Winston Churchill's, uh, you know, hidden fortress that he was there during World War II. Um, there's a lot of stuff to do in London. It's a, a ancient city with a lot of history. and It's beautiful. So make sure you yeah. check it out. What would you recommend? What's what's like the top three things that we should probably check out? Obviously, check out Buckingham Castle. Um, that that is a sight to be seen. It's it's gorgeous, and also make sure you uh, do a little uh, history on or do do a little research on um, the subway system there because that'll get you around to a lot of the cool places there. Canary um, Wharf, where they shot Rogue One. Uh, yeah, you can. There's a stop there on, uh, you know, the the subway that you can get there and, and check that out. You know, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that those just a couple things there. You know, obviously, uh, um, you can go to Baker Street as well if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, but the most famous one is if you want to get your picture taken uh, there at uh, Abbey Road because there is a, a tube station there that you can walk to right there. Um, but looking at it like a bus tour too, that'll take you, I mean, dude, you know, go see the, those famous stones that have been around since uh, the aliens dropped them there. Apparently, you know, Stonehenge, <laughs> yeah. go there. Yeah. You know, I think we're doing Stonehenge and I think we're doing professor. Yeah. Grave you know, well. yes, make sure if for, you're there, no, you know, it was something I was excited for. Make, make sure yeah. you check that stuff out. And it also, too, if you're a Harry Potter fan, you can go out to the Harry Potter uh, Warner Brothers studios as well. Yeah. And by the time yeah. this celebration happens, you might be able to go check out where Andor was filmed, you know, when they mm. were building that little yeah. city over there. Yeah. You know, uh, look into that. There's uh, 501st uh, groups out there that'll show, yes, I know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> Re- reach uh, out to them yeah. before you go. Do that first. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Make sure you do that because yeah. uh, it's it's the, that city has a lot to offer. So, and if you're going to be spending the money going out there, just put a little extra side yeah. for that as well. So, yeah. Awesome. That's great advice. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll consider going. Uh, you know. Have you ever been, Craig? No. No. Oh, okay. No. Um. But you know, like I said, if I. The other thing is that if I knew who the uh, celebrities that were signing were ahead of time, too, that makes a big difference. You know, they wait to like the last minute to have people signing and you don't even know who's going to be coming or not coming. It's like everything. That, feels rushed. That might have been covid related, I think. 
you know, regarding and also the delay of the last uh, celebration. But prior to that, you knew like at least six months in advance some bigger names. So hopefully we'll see that. It happened again but at DragonCon this year. Them slowly. Like I remember they did Felicity right away. And then every week they'd like release one or two more. But it's like, you know, it'd be nice if you had an idea who was going. Well, I, I think the other problem is, and I can't remember the point with, with pandemic and COVID and stuff like that. It happened even at DragonCon this year. DragonCon literally just days before the convention opened had like six guests canceled because they got sick. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was, yeah, there was some COVID's there, still but, a thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much, very much so, yeah. I was actually bummed I wasn't at DragonCon this year. This is probably the first one I've missed like in four years. So I was really bummed. But I just bought my tickets for um, for the one happening next year nice. um, before they bump up the prices because I think it was a couple of days ago. It was just under 100 bucks. Now it's like going up. So yeah, uh, There's a lot of weird stories coming out of DragonCon this year about the hotels and yeah. just the whole vibe of the convention this year. Yeah, I've missed the last two years, but I was a staple of that uh, since uh, you know a long time, and I, I do miss it. It's a great con. Love it. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting because we have so many new shows coming out uh, that they can talk about or show clips of or announce. Uh, so, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, we're in this place with Star Wars now that there's so many projects going on, whereas, you know, in the last handful of years, like, you you didn't have much. It was just like a movie, you know, and then you had to wait three years to hear about the next movie. And hey, maybe by London they'll actually have a movie we can talk about. No, that's <laughs> probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I would be surprised. I like. I, I. I mean, I could see maybe Taika just c- kind of walking out and at least maybe talking about the plot a little bit. But I, I, I has to start I, writing. I he hasn't even. He's he's flat out admitted. You he hasn't are even preaching to the choir, Kyle. I've been saying this for a very long time. I <laughs> he, know. He's too. He's he is too stretched, too thin, and I'm almost wondering when we're going to start having a little bit of the Taika. We have had too much of you backlash. As much as everybody loves him, he's yeah. everywhere, and I'm like, you know, yeah. maybe we need to find some different voices here because we can't have one man writing all of our entertainment. <laughs> I would love Dave Filoni, um, like of just to do like a full out movie, like him, John Favreau, like of just them to just do like a full out movie, not a show, like a movie, because that 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 first episode of season two of Mandalorian felt mm-hmm. like a movie, and um, uh, and and just like that whole battle with the crate dragon of uh, of where I went from uh, um, from. Someone help me out. Um, it like went from like the small screen to like widescreen, oh, yeah. and then went back at the end. I was like, yeah. that that was incredible. Like I, I, I loved that, and 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 it went by like so quick. And then the episode was done. I was like, I want more. And that episode was kind of long, actually. So I, I, I think if they did a movie, um, well, I, it would it would crush it. I find it interesting. We have all these percolating rumors that Pedro kind of I think kicked off him himself about maybe the whole Mando quote unquote Mando verse ending in some kind of film. That's what it's leading up to. I think. Yeah. Really? Well, Kathleen I, Kennedy said it in an investor call about the climactic events. 
Don't you guys think we have at least a few more seasons of Mando, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, I mean, soon. I I could see it. You You can have it happen and then have Mando continue. I don't see a problem with that. It just depends on how they end it, because in 2025, there is the untitled Star Wars movie. That could potentially be it. I mean, I hope not, because... I think there's so much more ground to cover because you have that 30 year gap from return of the Jedi all the way to force awakens. And there's so much to cover leading up to the sequels. And there's so much to make us more interested in the sequels as well. And we will definitely see it in season three, Amanda. Um, uh, I, I, I just have a feeling that we will. And I'm, and it, it would just be weird to like go to, do Mandalorian season three, jump into Ahsoka, then do another season of, of the book of Boba Fett skeleton crew and be like, all right, here we go. Boom. You know, it, it would just be weird. So I'm hoping it's down the line. Plus if they do it the same year, they have the Avengers movies come out in 2025. I think that would just kind of be them shooting themselves in the foot and kind of competing with themselves. Um, but- yeah. I, I was actually going to mention this earlier on someone else's point that they were making about uh, the lack of, films that we're getting now um but i heard sam witwer on uh an interview that he did that he was talking about how last decade he found out about something like 200 pitches were made by 200 separate people entities to kathleen kennedy about making an obi-wan film and they decided on one person's project and then it got devolved or evolved to the TV show. Um, so it feels like to me, Lucasfilm needs to loosen up the reins a little bit because every time they grab someone, they grab like the hot director to do the next thing. And they make that announcement and we get all excited and then it doesn't happen. I think there's smaller creators. There, there's other people out there with talent that aren't named. And we always point to the fact that Feige found the Russo brothers. He found Peyton Reed. Well, I mean, it's, it's just kind of one of those things. It's like, you need to like, loosen the reins and, a bit. and one of the things that lucasfilm has done so well learning from what marvel has done is develop their own pool of directors why isn't deborah chow's name being thrown out for a movie why isn't bryce dallas howard's name being thrown out to do a star wars movie why are they why why can't they get somebody who they've already kind of built in in-house who's proven that they can can do this you know why yeah. isn't i i don't think i think dave wants to finish ahsoka out i think once ahsoka is done I think Dave's really going to start looking at the movie side, doing a movie because I think Favreau, he's. I think Ahsoka is kind of like his gra- full graduation to full on. Okay, now you're really ready to direct a movie, and I think because of everything that fat he's been just basically absorbing everything Favreau has been teaching him about. There's people with less experience than uh, um, you know him that have done movies and and i think feloni's ready i just i i think he's in his wheelhouse i mean i I don't know if it's because he has doesn't want to do a movie Uh, i don't know i mean he should (laughs) oh yeah he should i just think he wants to get done with this the the ahsoka series first yeah yeah i think that's eventual but uh, i mean to me there's just so many other creators out there that can actually make some really good content for us as far as like films go i mean there's so many great filmmakers, but of course we all know that a lot of filmmakers don't want to touch Star Wars, even before the backlash that the Last Jedi got. But I no, mean, there's I, a lot of people that want to still work in the Star Wars playground. You know, I, I thought 
I saw somebody say recently online that one of the things about Star Wars is that the shows that are out are not must-see shows. Like uh, like Lord of the Rings is, I guess, becoming, or uh, Game of Thrones, really, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like this must-see event show that everybody, you know what I mean? Not just the Star Wars fans that love it, but like something that's like, must you've got to see this new Star Wars show? And I, I think stream, streaming's truth. changed that so much too. Stream, streaming has changed that appointment television aspect of it because oh, I can watch it anytime during that first day. Where when you had like when Walking Dead was appointment television or when Game of Thrones was appointment television, it was like if you didn't watch it at that time slot. Yeah. You were spoiled by the next day because it's all anybody was talking about. And unless you could find it on demand, which they usually didn't put it on demand until at least the next episode came out, you know, you were you were kind of in kind of stuck where now with streaming, these shows hit. And I mean, you can, oh, well, everybody's wa- got up at 3 a.m. and watched it. Well, I'm not going to get up at 3 a.m. I'm going to get up when I normally get up and I'll watch watch it then. I mean, the, now the trick is staying off social media so you don't get spoiled for it. Yeah, I, I think Craig has a good point there, though, because you look at Stranger Things Season 4, I think that was like a must-watch show. And now with House of the Dragon, I think that's must-watch television. Everyone's watching it. Everyone's commenting on it. It's a great show. It's more than an hour long. It's what we all thought these Disney Plus TV shows for Star Wars were going to be, more yeah. than an hour long. And now every episode we get, it's like 30 to 50 minutes long with credits taking up a chunk of that time as well. Yeah, they're not. I, mean, I agree. That's a, a big point. Yeah. I'm hoping that the skeleton crew will change that because I believe that's now recorded as the second most expensive TV show made in history. So with that budget, you would hope that that those episodes would be long. Um, even though we were hoping that like Mandalorian and, and, and all these other ones that we've already gotten were long. Um, uh, at least at least an hour, at least over an hour. But well, we'll see. I'll be curious. I mean, you look at you know, Andor's got twelve episodes, but we're already seeing that it's falling within that thirty-five to forty-five minute episode. I'm kind of curious when Daredevil comes out at eighteen episodes, which is the big to this date will be the longest one season of anything Disney Plus has ever done. What we're looking at for episode times for that, because that. So I think that's gonna be interesting, but. To Craig's point too, I don't feel like there's been anything on Disney Plus that feels like it's a must-watch in the general populace, a must-watch yeah. television show. That includes the Marvel. I think you can Star count Wars. the Mandalorian in there. Yeah, I think the Mandalorian was one of those. Yeah. I think the, I think the Mandalorian became that because of the fascination with Grogu and some other right. things, but it wasn't that right out of the gate. Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, those shows were like that right yeah. out of the gate. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah, I remember watching that first episode, and, uh, and and that's just what everyone was talking about. And yes, Grogu at the end was great, but at the same time, a lot of people were just talking about diving, um, of diving into that timeline, um, and of being like the first live action real like Star Wars show. So I think there was a lot of hype surrounded by it, and I think, um, I don't think it was on the same level as Game of Thrones. I think the excitement was there, though. Like, uh, like of the excitement. 
But like Game of Thrones right or House of the Dragon is like twenty nine million views a, a like the week, right? Right? Isn't it for the week? That's insane. Yeah. What is yeah. what is Obi Wan doing? Five million? I don't think we got those numbers per week. Um I think we got repeat numbers, but yeah, it, it probably didn't see those type of numbers. And then you have to subscribe to HBO Max. What is it like? Fifteen bucks, twenty bucks a month. Yeah, or, or if you have Plus HBO on seven? your cable subscription, if you get HBO yeah. on your cable subscription, you get Max as part of that. But well, yeah, you know, HBO Max is still free for a lot of AT and T uh, customers. So th- there are a lot of people who are paying for it, and then there's just a lot of folks like me who uh-huh. you get it with your internet service. Well, I mean, look at the meme that was out just a couple when the first episode came out, where they showed that building in New York, where you every like every apartment was watching House of Dragon yes. because you could just they were all flashing exactly the same on their TV for like that whole crazy. hour. It, it was it, it's insane, and you know it, it tells you how big Game of Thrones got. And I think I think with like with Star Wars, especially because of what happened with the sequel trilogy and just the, how the fan base got a little split. I think it took people time to get on Mandal- Mandalorian. I think Mandalorian is about the closest thing Star Wars has to appointment television right now. Um, and I'll be curious though, because I just think that Andor, I think Andor could turn into that, It's but it's going to have to turn into the, turn into that because I think you can bring in some people who maybe aren't big Star Wars fans because Andor is going to be something different and they can come in and not have to deal with a whole lot of knowledge of certain certain aspects. So Andor is going to be able to do that, honestly, because it's having a hard enough time. I think building hype, even within the Star Wars fans, Star Wars fans just don't seem excited about this show. And I don't know why. To me, I think it's going to be good, but it's going to be really challenging to get like a Game of Thrones with Star Wars, like that kind of hype, that kind of show. Uh, maybe it's because, you know, um, Star Wars tends to be more like towards teenagers or something like that. Whereas, you know, Game of Thrones is like crazy taboo, violence and sex and everything else. So I don't know, but it would be nice if they could get a show that is getting more than just Star Wars fans excited for it. Yeah. But I, I also think that's where Star Wars is right now. Is I, I feel like, in a way, because of how certain things have gone, they haven't set a new generational fan base for Star Wars as much as they would have liked to have. And I, I don't know if it's because you have Marvel sitting there, which t- has taken a lot of that, what would be that fan base. If it's because of just reaction to what's what the stuff has been put out so far or if it's just something i truly believe in is that we have so much different ips out there right now that nothing can it's really hard for one, any one thing to establish a foothold game of throne is the exception not the rule yeah there's a lot of truth to that there's so many options out there now um that's true you know Andor might be disney's sort of answer to game of thrones Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, all these major dramas that had an older target audience and did incredible numbers and just have uh, themselves within you know history. 
with cemented themselves within history as being these top drama shows. I think Andor might be sort of the response to that, trying to broaden their horizons a little bit. Um, it's being listed as a spy espionage series in a, in a Star Wars mm-hmm. you know, project, which we're under two hours now. If anybody's keeping time, I'm refreshing my <laughs> Disney Plus browser to see if <laughs> they release it early like they did with Sometimes uh, they Book, do that. Boba Fett. Yeah. Yep. They haven't yet, but um, it's you know we've come a long way. They announced uh, Diego Luna returning back in November of 2018. I can't believe it's been almost four years since that that announcement. Has it been that long? It's been that long. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! It really so do. It's uh, really exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think my plan is maybe to try and take a nap, a less than two hour nap. Wake up, try and watch it, and probably be dead tired at work tomorrow. So, yeah. I mean today. Oh, wow. Yeah, today, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe it's zero sleep. I don't know. Yeah. We we shall see. But uh, I just want to thank everyone for showing up. Uh, Kyle, Ted, Craig, Kevin. Thank Thanks you for all having so me. Much. Yeah, always oh, good to be here. Thanks yeah. a lot. Good to yeah. see. Yeah, and special thanks to our guest that we had at the top of the podcast, Chris Bartlett. Yeah, Chris. Wonderful that he came on. And all I got to say is. May the force be with you. And also with you. That'll work. Isn't this a rebellion? Let's rebel.